Hi, everyone, and welcome to Making Ways, the art of music. And we're here with a brand new season. This series is all about the crossroads where music and visual art meet. I'm your host, Rob Goodman, a diehard music fan and an illustrator for bands. I've been creating album covers and designing posters for bands like King Crimson, Ben Folds, and many more. In each of our episodes, I speak with bands and musicians with their visual art counterparts together about the art of music and creative collaboration. We're talking album artwork, posters, stage shows, and collaborations for music videos, TV and film, and so much more. In this episode, we're talking about the art of the music for The Melvins, a legendary genre-defying band that has been carving out their own way in music since the 1980s, and they just keep getting better and better with every new release they put out. They were there when grunge took off in the 90s. They've been called everything from sludge to doom metal. And what I love about the Melvins is this incredibly prolific output that they get out into the world and the experimentation that lives and breathes in all of their work. So do yourself a favor and grab any one of the Melvins or Buzz Osborne's records, give it a spin, play it loud, and get to know your next favorite band. So today, as I mentioned, we have Buzz Osborne, a.k.a. King Buzzo, lead singer, guitarist, and Melvin's mainstay through all their various incarnations as a band, together with Melvin's longtime designer and creative director, Mackie Osborne, whose incredible portfolio includes leading packaging for Tool, Bad Religion, Mr. Bungle, and many more. I mean, these are some of the most beautiful, acclaimed packages out in the world. Mackie is a printmaker, she's a music package designer, and an art director. Oh, and I should mention that Buzz and Mackie are not just in business together, and they're not just in the business of the Melvins. Together, they're life partners. They've been married for nearly 30 years. In this conversation, I talked to Buzz and Mackie about what makes a successful creative partnership. Their work on Melvin's albums together, like A Senile Animal, A Walk With Love and Death, the double album, and the band's latest, Bad Mood Rising. Though, given how prolific Buzz is, there could be any number of new releases out in the world by the time you're listening to this episode. And speaking of which, we get into talking about creative work ethic and so much more. So, let's get into it. Here's my conversation with Buzz and Mackie Osborne. So I thought we could kick off and I could learn a little bit more about recent collaboration that you've worked on. You've got Bad Mood Rising coming out soon. I don't know if you'd want to talk about that or maybe any recent Melvin's release over the past few years. Yeah, we always have stuff coming out. Generally, by the time the general public hears it, it's old news to us. A lot of times it's months, if not a year to 18 months from the time we finish something to the time it comes out, from the time you get all the art done and everything. I usually can listen to something I've done right up until about the time it comes out. And then I've really moved on. One of my favorite directors is this guy, John Huston. And he said he would edit his movies. He would watch them once or twice in the editing room. And then he would walk away from it and then move on to the next thing. I kind of get that. At what point, Mackie, do you get involved in the visualizing the artwork for the records? Do you just get an album title are you hearing finished tracks? You know, talk me through kind of that 
first stage of the creative collaboration process between you two? Or is it not that clean because you live together, Buzz, you're always creating, and Mackie, you're always making, and it's just it kind of organically sprouts? Yeah, I mean, I hear a lot of the music as it's being created because we're listening to it in the car as they're recording. So I'll hear it a lot of times before it's even actually finished. And then usually he comes up with the album title before they start recording. Yeah. 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 You two, you've been together now as life partners and in this relationship for what is 27, 28 years? Nearly 30. Wow. Working together since day one? Almost from day one, yeah. You both have experiences of working with people collaboratively that you're not married to, obviously. When you kind of hone in on the relationship between you two and kind of where life partnership and where creative partnership kind of begins and ends, what are the challenges there or kind of the upsides of kind of having that relationship together, both as creative partners and life partners? Is it that you know each other better? Is it that there's just a fluidity to the way you work and the way you live your lives? What are some of like the unique kind of insights about that relationship? I trust her vision. And I think that that's a big mistake people make, especially bands who come, I want you to do our record cover. Well, it's like, yeah, great. You're not a designer. You're also not an artist. You're also, you're a musician. But beyond that, you're not going to do as good a job than they will do it on their own. You might have some ideas, but just let them do it. Let them do it. I mean, it's sort of like if, if an amateur guitar player came to me and said, I really want to record this, but I want you to record it this way. I go, well, you know, I'm a guitar player by trade. I could show you a much better way to do that. If they refuse to listen to me, I think it's a mistake. I think that's a mistake that lots and lots of bands, because she's worked on tons of record covers, and there's some times where she'll just go, look at this crap <laughs> that they want me to do. Like they have ruined what would be good because they think they know everything and they don't know everything. So I am constantly trying to envision that I don't know everything. Even if I have a good idea, she will have a better idea of here's the right way to do that idea. And I trust that. She's the best collaborator. We both have a pretty seriously dark sense of humor. <laughs> and uh, that helps. It's the way to kind of make some light out of the reality, right? That's the way I see it. I see it as an optimistic uh, point of view. And I see that come through in, in all your artwork, you know, all the artwork yes. for the Melvins. I mean, there's always that kind of sweet and salty coming together, that juxtaposition of, I don't know, I guess the duality of, of nature. And I've heard, uh, Mackie, you write about that a little bit of kind of the intellectual approach that you bring to the art. Is there anything you want to say about that? Kind of like the underlying message that is in the artwork and how it connects to the music for the Melvins? There's a sense of humor, for sure, to this music that you may or may not understand just from listening to it. And the art is trying to remind people of that idea, like to not take yourself too seriously and to hold life loosely with an open mind and an open heart. Really, I think that's the idea of how the imagery is relating to, you know, the presentation of this music package. That's so beautiful because I, I hear the feeling I have when I listen to the music and how you describe the meaning for the artwork. That's what I think people should be approaching 
the visuals with and people should be approaching the music with for the Melvins and you'll have a great time <laughs> and you'll learn yeah. something, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. One thing uh, that has worked really well for us is cute violence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've seen that. Very I've seen well. that. Yeah. Well, she was making yeah. a t-shirt design for us once and I came in and saw it out of nowhere. And I was just like, it's, it's the most genius. It's a rabbit with, with a gun and a little vest on it. And it just says, make it a cheeseburger. Done. Like, that's the best thing I've ever seen. That's one of the best t-shirt designs I've ever seen. I love it. That's what the best art does, right? It brings you joy in some way. It entertains you. It makes you kind of step away from your day-to-day reality and you know step into this world. Yeah, and Mackie, you've done you know illustration work and also layout and design work for bands, Tool, Bad Religion, Mr. Bungle. So many amazing bands, obviously the Melvins catalog over these decades and all the collectibles and merchandise as well. When you're working with different bands outside the Melvins, what is the process like? Or is it always kind of, it depends, you know, if it's a packaging job, if it's layout, if it's illustration, it depends on the relationships there and what the need is. You know, what is kind of a typical process for you? Fortunately, at this point, I'm working with a lot of the same people that I know really well, like Tool, and we've, we know each other, like, and so we have a system of, you know, how to put a project together, and it's completely different than how I work with the Melvins, but it works because, you know, their aesthetic is completely different feeling than the Melvins, but it's really, you know, it's something that I think people recognize and are looking for. And I think I get what that is. So we know where we're going, which is a really nice way to work. Yeah. And what I see in the parallels in your work with Tool and the Melvins is this kind of art piece approach. Every aspect of it, you know, whether it's the cover, whether it's the package, whether it's a poster print or another kind of collectible, it's approached as a piece of artwork. You know, and Buzz, I've heard you say that these are really kind of entry-level art collector pieces that people can actually afford and put in their homes. And I love that. And I think it really comes through in the work and in the approach. And I can see, Mackie, over the years, you're doing, as you said, kind of more and more of those kinds of projects where the art is meaningful to you and the dialogue around the collaboration is easy and it works. How many projects are you working on at at once, Mackie? It really depends. Right now I'm working on a bunch of letterpress stuff because the Melvins are leaving on tour. So I'm doing a bunch of printing. We have two printing presses in our garage. And so I'm doing that. And then I'm also working on some really limited edition things for Tool who are re-releasing all of their back catalog on this very limited edition package. And then they're also going to re-release all the back catalog in kind of the standard way. Standard for them, which is not standard. (laughs) (laughs) Right. It's not an easy uh, cut and paste situation. There's no standard, but they'll be mass produced. So there's a limited edition thing that's going to be very limited. And then they're re-releasing 10,000 Days, which has never been on vinyl. It's going to be coming out on vinyl. So I'll be working on that. Awesome. That's so exciting. Fans are going to go wild. (laughs) (laughs) 
Buzz, how many projects are you working on at once? Obviously, you're so prolific, but do you kind of see an album through start to finish and then move on to the next? Or are you kind of simultaneously juggling, you know, different bands, different, you know, solo group projects? What's your approach? Oh, I'm always doing something. A lot of irons in the fire musically. We had a Melvin's 1983 record come out, which is the original drummer and Dale playing bass last year and then we had a four album acoustic record come out five legged dog that came out at the beginning of this year which is like 36 melvin songs plus a few covers reimagined acoustically that was two and a half hours of music that we did and then we have this new album that is coming out on a limited basis through amphetamine reptile a bad mood rising i have another album with trevor dunn solo acoustic record I had a solo music director come out with him at the beginning of the pandemic, Gift of Sacrifice. I was really in love with that record. We had a whole world tour planned and a big release for it, and it all got shake-hand with the pandemic. I think that record kind of got lost, so I'm looking forward to going out and working that. More people should hear it, for sure. I think so. I think um, when I had it done and I played it for Mac... She was like, you guys have come up with something that I've never heard before, the way that this whole thing works together. I was severely disappointed when that worked out the way that it did, but I mean, uh, that's kind of how it went with the pandemic. So this new album will come out, it's coming out, and then the new solo acoustic record with Trevor, which we're calling King Den, will come out. And then I'm already working on a few other things as well. It just never seems to stop as far as that's concerned. I never understand bands that take years and years and years and years to put out music. It's just like, you know, it's music. It's not overly important. (laughs) You can continue to do this. It's what I do. It's my thing. I feel like some bands, you know, put together record labels, you know, to release stuff they like and do all that. And, And when I listen to the Melvins catalog and all your bands, I feel like, you have that approach, but just in the work that you make yourself. You know, I'm going to basically just produce all the kinds of stuff that I love in different forms, in different varieties, as much as I want. It's just this kind of outpouring of like musical creativity in all these different channels, which is great. I mean, it seems like a mix of kind of unbridled creativity and work ethic that just does not stop. Does it feel that way? Yeah, it feels totally natural to me. Honestly, if you ask me, I would say that I'm not doing enough (laughs) to me. I've said that to her before, and she's like, you're out of your mind. (laughs) Like you feel inside yourself you haven't reached capacity yet? I don't know if the gas tank or whatever, but you you just know you you could do more. I don't feel like I'm close to capacity on on that kind of thing. I get five records a year. (laughs) I had the opportunity to do it without too much trouble. Five records might be a little tough, but I could certainly do it. Good is arbitrary, what people consider good. And I really do believe that you can flog the life out of something by overdoing it. Yeah. I believe that. I've worked incredibly hard on songs and then recorded songs very quickly from the time they were written, and no one has noticed the difference. (laughs) We'll do a really super elaborate package, and then no one will say a word about it. And then some super simple package, it's like it's noticed in the same kind of way. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I feel like both of your work, whether on the music side or Mackie on the art side, you could kind of keep reworking it or working it or adding different layers or different sounds or different, you know, tones, especially with, you know, the printing press work, Mackie. I mean, when do you know, hey, that's enough? <laughs> Does it just feel right? Or is it the deadline? Or Buzz, are you just like, I'm bored of this? I got to keep it moving? How do you know when to... Walk away? Yeah. Trust your instincts. Especially at this time, I've written and recorded more than 500 songs. I don't know how many records. I don't know how many releases. I have no idea. You trust your instincts. If I thought it was good on that day, it probably is good. I figure I have good musical taste. There'll be other people out there that will appreciate it if I make music that I would appreciate as a fan. I'm not trying to figure out what people will like. I have no idea what people will like. I have no idea. What I know is what I like. And I'm not selfishly making music for myself. I'm making music that I know I like figuring that other people will like it. That's it. Not that I don't care. I feel like I need to continue on the path I've been on. It will alienate some people, but it won't alienate everyone. And along the way, you'll pick up new people. Yeah. I mean, I'm embarrassed to say that I'm a, I'm embarrassed, but it's also exciting that I'm a newer Melvin's fan. And I'm kind of kicking myself that there's just years that I missed out on enjoyment. But at the same time, there's just so much diverse music to listen to, ambient, experimental, acoustic, you know, so heavy. The fact that you just keep making and keep releasing, I do think it attracts people to it. It's like they're out there making a contemporary band that also happens to have this deep catalog that you can enjoy, whichever door you decide to open and walk through. Yeah. I mean, in particular, we did this record called A Walk With Love and Death. We made a regular Melvin's record, which I mean, not regular, but we made a Melvin's record. And then we made a soundtrack record for a movie that didn't exist. Like if we were going to make a soundtrack, what we would think would be a good soundtrack. And we put those into a, a really cool package that I thought Mac did an incredible job on. I think it's arguably to me, one of the best things she ever did. I was super, super impressed with it. And then you read some stuff where like, well, one record's good. The other record's just a bunch of noise. It's just like, you know, you just couldn't be further off the mark on this. There's so many bands out there that are willing to do whatever it is you want. You know, you're going to consider us the enemy and look at this thing, this box. It's like with varnish printed on the sleeves on the box cover was so cool. This really great varnish. I think it's varnish. Is that what you Spot call varnish, it? Yeah. yeah. And when I saw what she was doing, I was just like, this is one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Certainly. I don't know what you think, but I think it's one of the best record covers and packages that we've ever put together. Yeah, the box like and everything. It's really good. Mm. You know, and, and you do something like that and you're really proud of it. And then to have people not get it, some people, it's just, it's a little irritating, but you move on. Not everybody's going to get it. And I don't care. It's okay as far as that's concerned. But that was really fun to know that I could turn all that stuff over to her and have her apply her vision to it and have it be that cool. Yeah. People like labels, I think, because it just puts them at ease. You know, oh, I don't have to think. It fits into this box, right? Whereas, you know, your stuff, it encourages thinking, exploration, take it for what it is without preconceived notions, which I think, you know, then people have to kind of take it on and think about it and process it and 
it's like extra energy, but I think the journey is well worth the reward, you know, of actually getting it and soaking in the music. On that one, I knew I wanted to call one record love and one record death. That's all I told you, I think. And we just figured it out from there, what that would look like. Yeah, I know it's one of the ones like we knew ahead of time that we wanted it to be a really fancy package. So there's there's been a few where we knew ahead of time that we could spend more time and more money on the packaging. Like Senile Animal is another one yeah. where we had time and money to spend on the packaging and that one came out. That's really one of my good. favorite ones too. Yeah. But we have a, there's been a few where, you know, we just had more time and money and that's really fun to play with different printing processes and different styles of packaging when you have time. But I also enjoy the challenge of just like, let's, you know, try to make something look special when all we have is a jewel case or all you have is a digipack or all, all you have is a, a single 12 inch LP sleeve. Yeah. And then there's the quick hit stuff that you do. I, I'm assuming it's quick. Maybe it takes a long time, but kind of reprinting over the vinyl packages, like other vinyl records and kind of rebranding them. I love that. <laughs> that was really fun. That happened because my parents were getting rid of a bunch of records and we were like, let's do something with these. Yeah. Of course, we'd cut them up and do something, make a book out of them or something. Yeah. So. I just started printing on them, and I was like, oh, this is really cool. Just make it into a new record. I love that. People are like, can you do that? Can you do that? Well, well yeah. I can't <laughs> do that. I bought the record. Now I can do whatever I want with it. Yeah, exactly. It's a special uh, one-off thing. And I want to talk to you about that approach to collectibles and one-offs and special editions. I mean, the amount of artwork you're creating it matches kind of the velocity of music that's coming out and maybe then some. It, was that a purposeful kind of decision? Hey, let's feed the community. Let's feed our fans. Let's do all these like limited runs of, you know, special early versions of the record or, you know, different prints and all of that. Like where did that idea come from and how has it developed over the years? Because there's so many variants and really limited collectibles out there for fans who love the music and love the artwork. Well, first, I don't have any idea how many of those things we've done. No clue. It's been dozens and dozens, if not hundreds, of different things. In the end, there's no rule to what you can do. Even though people follow rules pretty strictly, I never saw any reason to do that. I'm a collector of a lot of different kinds of things, so I understand the mentality. And so the idea of making things that aren't available in stores and are only available from us appeals to me. I would like that. I would appreciate that. I would like to buy stuff like that. But no bands other than us are doing it. So I wish my favorite bands were doing those sorts of things, but they're just not doing it. I don't know. why. I do know why. It's because it's a hell of a lot of work. I'm surrounded by, by very creative people, whether it's Mackie or my bandmates or my buddy Tom Hazelmeyer from MREP, him and this video guy, uh, Jesse Nymanen. All three of these people, Mackie and him and Tom Hazelmeyer, are massively creative people. It's a godsend situation that I have to take advantage of. I would be a fool. That's the way I look at it. It is a lot of work. And when we started, we started with a box set, which was a really ambitious project. A friend of mine that I worked with had just gotten rid of his printing presses. So he gave me one of the presses. And, From the 1800s. And so <laughs> we're... It's like, it. what do we, it's like the si- size of half of a Volkswagen. So 
thought like, well, what are we going to do with this thing? And that was the idea like that we came up with. It's like, I was like, what can you do? With let's make a, let's make a box set. So that's how it all started. And it sold so well. How many did you make? We made 300 of them. So there's 300 of the box set and each of the boxes had 13 CDs in it. And each of the CDs was printed with three or four colors. So that went through the printing press anywhere between six or eight times. So times, hundreds of times through. (laughs) And then they all had to be folded and glued together. I got really good with a hot glue gun. I love that you went big to start, right? You're like, let's no, let's not do like kind of one record or one print. No, no, let's do a whole box set. We had no idea, like, how really, like, what a huge kind of undertaking that was going to be. You just work hard. Yeah, <laughs> dive in, work hard. Yeah, but what you know, once we saw how well that did, we just thought, well, we have to keep doing this kind of thing, and. None of those went to stores. Yeah. None of the stuff she does ever goes to stores. Doesn't go to a distributor. Doesn't go to a store. We might sell some of it online with Tom through Tom, but most of it is just sold. Or through the website, the Melbourne. Yeah, we might do um, hyper limited stuff through there. Yeah. But most of it is very hands on. And I realized with that box set, which was that was years and years ago. I don't know how long ago. It was quite a while. Yeah. But I realized really quickly with that that. What is lacking in this internet world is things that are tangible with your fingerprints on them that you can't get by ordering a 3,000 of them or 10,000 of them made in Korea. You can't get that. But bands, especially, are lazy. They don't want to do the work. They don't want to do it. I will roll up my sleeves and go to work on all this stuff. No problem at all. I don't have any problem with that. I'm not an artist the way that she is or the way that Tom is or the way that Jesse is, but I, there's plenty that I can do in all these things. It's a it's very um, hands-on and homespun. And in a lot of ways, it reminds me of how I would envision the factory with Andy Warhol working, who's, for me, I've applied that aesthetic with the collectible vinyl toy aesthetic and then combined it, all those things into this and then sell them that way. Buzz, yeah, I've heard you talk a lot about, you know, you talked in this interview basically about, you know, making the work, making the music that you love, that you want to hear. And I'm wondering if there are, you know, artists, whether they be visual artists or bands, musicians out there listening and they're like having a hard time. They're feeling torn. They want to maybe go towards a trend. They are kind of fighting against themselves a little bit and they want to stay true to who they are. I'm just curious if you have any advice or any things that have kind of been your North Stars over these years. And Mackie, I'd love to ask you the same question. If you want to be good, you can't be afraid of anything. If you are, it's not going to work. Most stuff isn't very good. Yeah. Just not very good. And if you're good at all, you'll stand out. How do you be good? Well, trying to be like someone else, I just don't think is a way to do it. Personally. Yeah, you have to be yourself. You have to figure out who you are first and be yourself. Because you'll only be the best version of you. You won't be a better version of anyone else. For you both, what makes for a great creative collaboration? I mean, Buzz, you've worked in, you know so many different configurations of the Melvins and Solo and 
Crystal Fairy and Fatimas, all these bands. You know, Mac, we've talked about you know, so many of the bands that you've worked with. What are the ingredients that make your creative collaboration work so well? I trust her vision and what I'm doing. You know, when, when I hand her something, I trust it. Trust the musicians I play with to do a good job. I trust their vision. It's nice to be involved in something that starts working. It's nice when you're playing to not have to think about what you're doing. It just happens naturally, which is really nice. It doesn't always happen. But when it does, it feels really good. Respect for those people on a level that is above and beyond what you think you can do. They will do a better job than I will do. That's a big part of it to me. I will do a better job of singing than some people that have been in my band. I will do a better job of guitar playing. And they let me do that. Trust the vision. When I work with her, I work with Hazelmeyer, I work with Jesse, I trust their vision. That's a big deal. Yeah, I think it's like the less cooks in the kitchen, the better. And hire people who are good at what they do and then let them do it. Yeah. Whatever that is, whatever, you know, endeavor that's why you're undertaking is just, you know, like pick people who you like what they do and then let them do that. And my work, I like to have a conversation about, you know, what the artist is looking for, but it works better if then I, you know, take their ideas and make them happen rather than if they're like, you know, constantly adjusting everything. It just kills the artwork. You can do that with music too. You can flog it to death. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. You can over overthink it and over practice it to the point where now you don't know what is good. That's not good. You know, you might not be able to save a bad song, but you can certainly kill a good song. <laughs> You strangle the creativity out of it. Yes, you can. I've seen it over and over and over with other bands, and I've done it myself. And know that that was not what I really should have done. You have records you can look back on and be like, I just should have walked away, or I should have. It's just too much. I don't spend a whole lot of time listening to my old records, but when I do, like, I'll, let's say I'll remember something that I struggled over this particular thing, and I was never happy with it in the studio. Finally, I just had to give up and it came out. I'll listen to it years and years and years later and I'll go, what didn't I like about this? It's fine. <laughs> it sounds fine. Yeah. You know, so then learning to not let that be a problem and knowing when it's good, that just comes with time. I mean, we've often said in the recording studio, I might be able to play it better, but that's not necessarily going to make it better. I mean, we'll drive around town for years and years and years and just drive and look at things like a billboard, a neon sign, and I'll ask questions like, what makes that work? Why does that work? Why is that good? What makes this work? Why is this picture good? Recently, she put together a photography book for me because I'm also really into photography. Yeah. I see your Instagram is beautiful, the collection there. Thank you. I did a, I did a photography book and she also does book design. And so we put together this whole book. And a lot of that stuff we'd go through and I go, what makes this picture good? It doesn't necessarily have to be the most technically perfect picture for it to be a good picture. It's supposed to tell you something. Art is communication. That's what it is. Whether you understand it or not, doesn't really make much difference. She said something to me about photography a long time ago, which was, I don't care how you took this picture. If it's good, it's good. So people get hung up. Like on the Instagram, they'll ask me questions like, how did you take this picture? It was a camera. 
my book, some of the pictures are with the iPhone. I challenge you to pick out which ones are iPhone <laughs> and which ones are my Leica. I like a deluxe type 109. You tell me, because you're not going to be able to figure that out. I'd have to tell you. I'm not going to know. I asked this photographer once, professional photographer. Uh, I go, if you'd have given Man Ray all the gear they have now and put him back then, how much better would his pictures have been? He goes, minimally. Because it's him. If you give him anything, he's going to take a good picture with it. If you give him the most expensive camera, it's not really going to be much better than what he already did with the equipment that they had then. And I've heard you talk about that with guitars as well. And I also think that's an inspiring message. It's like, just make the thing. Don't focus on having all the right equipment, all the right, you know, sounds, everything perfect. Just make it, you know, just put in the effort, put in the creativity and whatever. You can keep improving your equipment as you go, but don't hold up kind of the craft. I mean, if she wanted to go back to the way that they used to make record covers with a new set of X-Acto knife blades, and if she wanted to do that, she could do that, and it would look fucking great. But why go backwards? Go forward. Technology doesn't have much to do with creativity. You can't throw technology at something and make it creative. You can't do it. I've seen too many people with all the right stuff, and you just can't write a song. You just can't come up with anything interesting. Or the massive amount of computer equipment and all the best you know, Photoshop, whatever it is, and you're just not a very good designer. It's the archer, not the arrow, you know? Love it. I thank you both so much for joining the show, for the conversation. Buzz, Mackie, this rocked. You both rock. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. Please subscribe if you dig what we're doing here on this independent podcast. Rate the show, share it with friends, colleagues, and creatives in your life. Visit makingwayspodcast.com to learn about our guests, see the exclusive artwork I illustrated that goes along with this episode, and support what we're doing so we can continue to bring you amazing new episodes at the crossroads where art and music meet. Making Ways is created, hosted, and illustrated by me, Rob Goodman. Audio engineering is by Brian Paik at Pacific Audio. You can find us on Instagram at making.ways. And if you have a project that brings together music and art, I'd love to work together. Hit me up at rob at makingways.co. And check out more of my artwork at robgoodmanart.com. Be well and see you soon. Thanks so much again for listening to Making Ways, the Art of Music.